So today I'm going to be continuing our series on Old Testament characters, and today we're looking at the book of Ruth. So I'm going to take some time to tell the story of Ruth, and as I do that, I'm going to draw out a few things that I think God wants to say to us through it. But firstly, though, a bit of context. Most of the Old Testament is a big overarching story of God's people, the Israelites, and the kind of highs and lows of their story. The book of Ruth comes at a low point for Israel. It comes just after the book of Judges, where we hear that people have forgotten all about God, and they're living for themselves. They're living selfishly. They're not obeying what they've been instructed to do. That's when Ruth appears. And by contrast, the book of Ruth is not a story about nations and wars and kings. It's a story about one family. It's as if the Bible just suddenly and unexpectedly zooms right in. In terms of genre, this book is a slightly unusual one. It's a story, but it's a true story. So it's kind of a bit of history as well, but it's structured like a story. And our story has what's called a problem-based plot, which means it starts with a tragedy and the plot develops away from there. So I apologize. It's going to start in a little bit of a somber way, but it gets more joyful after that. And the last thing I'll just mention about the context is that Ruth, who's the main character that we'll be talking about today, is not an Israelite. She's actually from Moab. Moab is a country, so she's a Moabitess. If you can see, there's a little purple blob there. That's Moab. To the left of Moab is the Dead Sea, and then to the left of that is Judah. Above that, Israel. So that's the map of the area we're talking about. So this is a story for ordinary people, not kings and nations, ordinary people who've fallen on hard times. If you do have Bibles with you, you might want to get them out and find the book of Ruth. I'm going to be dipping in and out of the story, so it might help to anchor you. Uh, But don't worry if you don't, because I will be putting up the quotations on the slide as well. So, chapter one. Imagine with me a 15-year-old girl. I'm looking over here, probably some people who are nearer 15. Imagine with me a 15-year-old girl. She's young, but she's used to working in her father's fields. So she's strong, and she's got rough hands. She's not particularly talented or beautiful that we know about, but she's a good girl. She's loyal and she's hardworking. And if this girl, who lived over 3,000 years ago, over 3,000 years ago, were to be able to tell us her heartfelt desire for her own life, It would probably be something like this, to bring joy and prosperity to her family by serving them, and then to marry and produce children of her own. Such was the hope and the kind of cultural purpose of young women like Ruth. And one day, this 15-year-old girl hears, because that's how it will have happened, that her father has arranged her marriage to a foreigner. And she knows something about this land. It's a holy land, but that's it. And her whole life is stretched out before her feet then 
Here's her chance. She's going to marry this man. She's going to have tons of children. And she's going to serve this little family of her own. But life does not turn out the way she planned. It does not turn out the way she planned. No children are born. We don't know why. But for women in times like this, that long ago, it was considered to be the woman's shame to be without child. So after 10 years of shame, her husband suddenly dies. Her brother-in-law also dies. And she finds herself in a home of three weeping women, utterly bereft of joy, hope, or the means for providing for themselves. So it's herself, Orpah, her sister-in-law, and Naomi, the widow, who's just lost her two boys. God wants to speak to and encourage people today whose lives haven't turned out how they planned. For whatever reason. You might relate to some of that, the things that have happened to Ruth and Naomi. Or you might just feel dissatisfied with the way things are. You might have been let down by others or a coincidence or circumstance has just thrown you off in another direction. God has something to say to you today through this book. I also believe God wants to speak to people whose family members' lives haven't turned out the way they planned. That can sometimes be harder. What do you do when you have no power to guarantee someone else's happy ending. When I was praying about this morning, God gave me two pictures. That sometimes happens. Uh, We believe that if we pray, God will speak to us. And sometimes he shows me a picture. And these were the two. One was a VHS tape, a bit of a throwback. And the other was a boat on the ocean. The first picture relates to what many of us want our lives to be like. I remember recording films off the television uh, onto a VHS and, you know, writing a label and then watching it again and again and again. There's a sort of lovely predictability to it. The story moves from one side to the other and back again. We know what's going to happen and how the story will unfold. The second picture relates to what many of us actually find that life is like. We're on this voyage and the ocean is unpredictable. Sometimes there are calm waters and lovely sunsets to enjoy, but also there are unexpected storms that throw us off onto a different route altogether. We can get completely lost. We might be sure where we're going to, but how we get there and the details of that We don't know those. So wherever the ocean is looking like for you and for your loved ones right now, this book, the book of Ruth, was written for this very purpose. The writer of Ruth wrote this story to be read aloud at Jewish festivals at a time when there were no dreams, no visions, no prophets. God seemed to be silent to ordinary, broken people who'd fallen on hard times and for whom hope was scarce. So what is it that the writer wanted to say to these people? And therefore, what is it God wants to continue to say through his word? So let's get back to the story to find out. 
In the midst of this tragedy, Naomi hears that the famine in her homeland, Judah, has come to an end. And the famine was the reason why she and her family, her husband and her two sons, had moved to Moab in the first place. And having lost everything, she hears that there's suddenly food. And she thinks, well, I'm going to go home. And Ruth and Orpah initially go with her. But on the road... Naomi turns to them with tears in her eyes and she tells them to go back to Moab. All three of them are weeping. You see, if Orpah and Ruth return to Moab, they might marry again and have a chance to have that VHS life. But Naomi, if if they go with her and they go back to Israel, Naomi implies that marriage and a family will not be in their future Moab is Israel's ancient enemy. And for Ruth and Orpah, they would be undesirable immigrants. That's how they would have been seen. So, chapter 1, verse 14. If you can click me on, Adam, that would be great. It says, They wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. She clung to her. And Naomi says, look, Naomi's got this woman attached to her. And she's saying, look, she's trying to point, look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. And at this point, Ruth makes a speech, and it's a famous speech. Many of you will know it. It's beautifully written, and we're supposed to be amazed by it. But we also know that Ruth is clinging on for dear life to Naomi. She's weeping. She's pulling on her robe. She's being sort of half dragged along the road. Adds some depth and emotion and movement to the speech. Here it is. She's saying, please, Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Please, I'll go wherever you go. I'll stay wherever you stay. Naomi's sort of like, astonished by this hysteria. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And I like to sort of imagine at this point, she's managed to get Naomi's face in her hands. And she's looking at the whites of her eyes and she gets more solemn. And she says, where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely if even death separates you and me. And Naomi's listening now, because Ruth, you can't see it here, but Ruth has actually used the word Yahweh. She says, may Yahweh deal with me, be it ever so severely. That's the Jewish name for God. And so this is a solemn Jewish oath from the mouth of a Moabitess. And it says in verse 18, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So they travel to Judah together. And the first thing that Ruth does is she asks Naomi, can I go out and work? So having committed to this little family of two, she says, I'm going to go and provide for it. I'm going to make sure we've got enough to eat. So here's the first thing then that we learn from Ruth when life doesn't turn out how you plan. Love, grit, and determination in your little sphere. 
When Ruth's plans have gone awry, she chooses to cling on tight to what she's got, to pour out the love she has left on Naomi, to work hard to provide for the family in a time of emotional and material poverty. And Naomi does all she can to try and persuade Ruth that if she comes to Israel, she won't have a future. Now, Ruth commits to Naomi anyway, but Ruth doesn't even mention this doomed future that Naomi tries to paint for her. In the midst of her own grief, she chooses instead to look at what is directly in front of her, which is Naomi. A couple of years ago, uh, my husband and I were encouraged to have six months of counselling because our lives weren't going according to plan. And I tell you what, showing up every week for therapy for six months takes a lot of love, grit and determination. Other people might never see it, might never marvel at your efforts, but it's a victory to cling to your little sphere sometimes. Perhaps some of you can relate. For others, it might look different. So when life doesn't go to plan, Ruth's example teaches us not to focus on the future that's been robbed from us. Or imagine all the ways that life might go wrong. And it's difficult because Ruth has someone like Naomi who's painting in big doomsday letters, you will fail. (laughs) She's saying instead, look around our immediate sphere, cling on with determination and love. So in chapter two, Ruth goes to work in a barley field. She's gleaning behind the harvesters. This is a painting by Millet of some women gleaning behind harvesters. And this is all to provide for her new home. And she happens to choose a field that is owned by a man named Boaz. And Boaz, like everyone else in the village, will have heard about Ruth. He's heard about this Moabitess who's behaved rather strangely And so he approaches her. My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. Little hint there about what foreign women might have expected in terms of their treatment. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground and she asked him, Why have I found such favour in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband how you left your father and mother and your homeland and you came to live with a people you did not know before. And he prays this prayer over her. May the Lord repay you. May Yahweh repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So here Boaz puts into words the second thing we can learn from Ruth 
when life doesn't go according to plan. Take refuge under the wings of God. I'm going to give it away now. The story has a happy ending. (laughs) Sorry, it does have a happy ending. And it's unmistakable that the writer of this book wants us to admire Ruth and imitate her. Go and do likewise. So she's, she's behaving really well and she gets a happy ending. Does that mean that she's earned her happy ending? Is that what we're supposed to think? Is she a worker that earns her wages through good behavior? No, that's not the image we're given. Ruth is a little chick hiding under the wings of an eagle. By clinging to Naomi and choosing Naomi's God, Ruth automatically comes under his protection. And there are multiple places in the Bible where God is referred to as an eagle sheltering his young. And here's a really beautiful example from Deuteronomy. In a desert land, he found him. God found Jacob, who's the father of Israel. In a desert land, he found him. In a barren and howling waste, he shielded him and cared for him. He guarded him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. The Lord alone led him. Yahweh alone led him. No foreign god was with him. That sounds really similar to what's happened to Ruth, doesn't it? On a desert track far from home, when times are rough, she calls upon the name of Yahweh. Not her foreign gods, but Yahweh. And he finds her, and he shields her, and he draws her to the safety of his nest. God loves it when we simply take refuge under his wings. And he loves it when we stop trying to be perfect before we do that. He wants us to crawl with our mess under his wings. We constantly forget that. We're so hard on ourselves. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus told a parable called the prodigal son. And the prodigal son was a man whose life had not gone according to plan, wasn't it? He asks for his inheritance early and he goes and he spends it all. And he ends up with no home. All of his friends have deserted him. He hasn't even got a way to wash himself. And he's got to the lowest of the low and he thinks, maybe I should just go home. I mean, that's going to be shameful. I've treated my father so badly. He's never going to welcome me back. I, I better just... And he's writing this little speech on his way home and bam, he's hit by the biggest hug he's ever had. And it's his father. And he cleans him up and he puts a robe over his shoulders and he puts a ring on his finger He treats him like royalty. And Jesus is just trying there to use our language to paint a picture of what Yahweh is like with us. So when life hasn't gone according to plan, we're not supposed to hesitate. We're supposed to just get under the wings of God. It's all he wants to do. So after Boaz prays a blessing over Ruth, he gives her more food than she could possibly eat. He's very generous to her. Probably not a full English breakfast, uh, but, you know, we'll forgive him for that. 
So she goes home, and I can just imagine she goes back to Naomi, and she just can't wait to tell her about the kindness she's experienced from this man called Boaz. And for Naomi, this is the start of a new hope. And Naomi is the one, by the way, who has seen no hope at all for either of their futures. And she exclaims in verse 20, Oh, that man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. And for early listeners of this story, that phrase, kinsman redeemer, will have signaled hope. They'll be like, ah, oh, kinsman redeemer. Mm, I see where this is going. What's a kinsman redeemer? It means that Boaz has a duty of care for his relatives. It means that if a male relative dies, he has to marry and care for the widow, manage their land and continue the family line. And this hope is the reason why, in chapter 3, Naomi hatches a frankly extraordinary plan for Ruth to be redeemed by Boaz. And in verse 2, she says this, and I can kind of sort of imagine her pacing around, like, tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes. No, not those ones, those ones. <laughs> Then go to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. You don't want to interrupt a man while he's eating and drinking. (laughs) And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go, uncover his feet. Sounds weird, but bear with me. Lie down, he will tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And in the middle of the night, Boaz is startled awake and he finds a woman at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. Unfortunately, he says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. So this is my third point. Hope, plan, and take action. Hope, plan, and take action. So when we've clung on to what's right in front of us, when we've taken refuge under the wings of God, hope slowly but surely returns. The role of hope in our lives cannot be underestimated because hope causes us to roll up our sleeves and get involved. And this story teaches us that that is actually what God wants us to do. He wants us to join with him in taking action to do what's right. Naomi senses hope that the injustice of their situation can be redeemed and she springs into action. And Ruth, Ruth proposes marriage to a man twice her age. That's what her slightly odd actions mean. She's saying, redeem my situation and protect me by marrying me. And the language she uses is really interesting because she says, spread your garment over me. And the Hebrew word 
for garment is the same word as the Hebrew word for wings. So she's saying to Boaz, be the answer to your own prayer. When you said, take refuge under the wings of God, she's saying, can you please be that shelter for me? She's saying, we can often be the answer to our prayers, but also other people's prayers. Over the last uh, 10 years as a church, maybe 15 years, we've had a recurring prophetic word that God intends for us to be far bigger than we are, able to shelter and help more people than we currently do, able to be much more impactful than we can be with our numbers. And last year, we experienced something, hope, that what God had said for quite a long time might actually be possible. And we began to pray for growth. And then we began to plan for growth. We started to think about how we could structure the way that we lead things to allow for growth to take place. A church without hope that it can have any significant positive impact doesn't plan to have significant positive impact. And a church with hope rolls up its sleeves and gets stuck in trusting God for the rest. So when life hasn't gone to plan, we don't have to be passive. Ruth's example shows us that hope for justice can spur us into action. So coming to the end now. Chapter 4. In chapter 4, we read that Ruth and Boaz are married and they give birth to a son. In verse 17, it says, they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. In this final little family tree, we're told that this longed-for child, Obed, is the grandfather of David, who was to become the great king of Israel. And we know that David was the ancestor of in turn, of Jesus. So the message of the story is clear. Ruth's seemingly small but courageous life was vital for God's big saving work in the world. We've been focusing on Ruth's example and how we can be inspired by her when life doesn't go according to plan. Those are the three ways that she might inspire us in that situation. But the way that this book ends leaves us with a final encouragement from God. And this is what the first listeners were meant to hear too. Your life may not have turned out the way you planned. You are navigating some stormy seas. You might feel pretty small and wonder whether your faith makes any difference at all. But you are not small to God. God calls you vital. You can't see the future and you don't feel like some of the details make much sense. But zoomed out, your life is woven into a tapestry of great beauty, a tapestry of hope, a big story that we won't be able to see until the end of time. Lord, I just want to pray for us all, for your hope to be among us. I just want to thank you, Lord, that you don't want us to pretend everything's fine. 
This isn't a performance. This certainly isn't a place for performance. And I just want to thank you that your Bible has countless stories of real people who went through really difficult things where there are no easy answers. But we thank you that you zoom out as well as zooming in. You tell us you're with us, that you're going to shelter us, but you also say, look, in the grand scheme of things, you're vital, you're not insignificant. 